I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Today is Sunday, July 4th, 2021. On this day in 1910, Jack Johnson defended his heavyweight boxing title from former champ Jim Jeffries. Johnson's victory sparked retaliation and racial violence across the U.S., leaving dozens dead. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and racism that some people may find disturbing. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the day Jack Johnson, the world's first black heavyweight champion, beat Jim Jeffries, as well as the violence that followed. Let's go back to Reno, Nevada on Independence Day 1910. On the day of the big match, the original fight of the century, a white man approached 32-year-old Jack Johnson. Despite Johnson's massive frame and fire engine arms, the white man was backed by his buddies, all fanning themselves with their derby hats in the 110-degree heat. The men told Johnson that if he even came close to winning the fight that day, he wouldn't live to see the sunset. Johnson just sneered. He reportedly told the white man that they might as well hang him then because nothing was going to stop him from knocking his opponent down. Nothing ever stopped Johnson. The son of former slaves, he grew up in Galveston, Texas. Johnson got his start in fighting by participating in battle royales. The fights, often held between black boys and young men, were organized for the entertainment of high-class society. Even then, Johnson was always the last man standing. As an adult, he made mincemeat out of black and white boxers alike on the professional circuit. He wanted the heavyweight championship title more than anything in the world. But the current champion, Jim Jeffries, refused to fight him. It had nothing to do with skill and everything to do with skin color. Jeffries believed that no black man deserved a shot at the title. When he retired in 1905 at the age of 30, Jeffries was undefeated. Despite overwhelming resistance in the boxing industry, Johnson eventually got his shot for the crown on the day after Christmas in 1908. The reigning champion, Tommy Burns, was paid a fortune to fight, while Johnson was paid only a fraction of that. But he wasn't in it for the money. He wanted glory. When the announcer introduced Jack Johnson that night, the white audience hurled racial slurs at him. Johnson merely blew back kisses. The bell rang and within seconds, Johnson knocked Burns down twice. He didn't just dominate Burns, he made a complete fool out of him. He then joked around, conversed with the audience, and patted his side, daring Burns to hit him. 
Just when Johnson got serious with his fists, police cut the cameras and stopped the fight. In their minds, they were protecting the public from seeing a black man beat a white man. Even with the moment lost to film, Jack Johnson became the first black boxing champion in history. Rather than play the humble man of color America wanted him to be, Johnson flaunted his success. He wore tailored suits, rode in luxury cars, and was romantically linked to white women. Seeing a black man enjoy so much freedom and privilege enraged some white Americans. They called on Jim Jeffries, the former champ turned alfalfa farmer, to reclaim his title. Jeffries tried to shake the idea off, still believing that black boxers weren't worthy of the most important title in sports. It took a paycheck of $40,000, over a million bucks today, to get Jeffries off the tractor and into the gym. The press hyped the match endlessly. Jim Jeffries, the 35-year-old undefeated champ, was coming out of retirement to beat Jack Johnson. The media started calling Jeffries the Great White Hope, and his match with Johnson was the original fight of the century. Black Americans were just as invested in the fight, too. Jack Johnson wasn't just fighting for himself, but for all of them. Millions of ears and eyes turned to the Nevada desert on Independence Day 1910. Spectators soon overran the little town of Reno, Nevada. Hotels sold out, traffic jammed, and restaurants ran out of food. As 20,000 people filled the newly constructed arena, police confiscated firearms, knives, and just about anything that could be thrown as a weapon. The announcer introduced Jack to a valley of thorny, grim, white faces. But when 35-year-old Jeffries was introduced, with his retirement fat worked down to a sleek new body, the crowd cheered. Although the nation was divided, the arena was not. When the bell sounded for the first match, the great white hope was hopeless. Johnson's quick feet and lightning fists left Jeffries bloody and winded. For 15 rounds, it wasn't a boxing match, it was a slapstick comedy, one that the white crowd did not find funny. In the 15th round, Johnson flipped a switch and knocked Jeffries into the ropes. It was the first fall of Jeffries' career. Men in his corner team and first row jumped up and lifted him back to his feet, still hoping for the white man to deliver what he promised. It didn't last. Jack Johnson paced like a panther, waiting for Jeffries to be cleared by the referee, then beat the fallen champ senseless. Even though no one cheered, Jack Johnson had silenced all doubts. He was the greatest. Johnson's team formed a tight circle around him as they exited. The crowd filtered out in silence as if somebody had died. The white fans of Jeffries suffered a humiliating defeat, but they weren't about to be humbled. Instead, they were going to claim their revenge in the streets. Up next, Jack Johnson's victory sparks retaliation and violence by white Americans. The CIA. 
They're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public, and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? Follow the new Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. On July 4, 1910, heavyweight boxing champion Jack Johnson beat Jim Jeffries in the fight of the century. Johnson had crossed the racial barrier to claim the championship and had defended the crown from white supremacists. Tensions were high leading up to the match, and when Johnson wiped the floor with Jeffries, white Americans took it as an insult. While black fans threw spontaneous parades in honor of Jack Johnson after the victory, white mobs took to the streets across the nation. In a streetcar in Houston, Texas, boxing fan Charles Williams bragged about the Jack Johnson victory. Then he noticed that a white man had crossed into the car next to him. The man thought Charles was rejoicing too loudly, so he pulled a knife and killed him. In the New York neighborhood of San Juan Hill, which would later be replaced with Lincoln Center, black community members celebrated after the fight until a white mob descended on the area, setting fire to the buildings and blocking the exits with their bodies. In Wheeling, West Virginia, furious crowds marched through the streets. They spotted a black driver in a luxury car. They attacked the driver, dragged him to a bridge, and hanged him. Meanwhile, a black gunman shot a white man in Arkansas. In Washington, D.C. alone, 236 people were arrested after two white men were stabbed to death. Across roughly 25 states, mobs rioted in the streets. Major cities instituted lockdowns as their mounted police patrolled the city. When the crowds didn't disperse, they opened fire, turning the streets into a war zone. The total number of deaths and injuries is difficult to count, but the official estimate is that between 11 and 26 people were killed in the riots. The vast majority of victims were black. Hundreds were beaten and more jailed. By July 7th, movie theaters across the nation shut down what they believed was fueling the racial unrest, exhibiting a black-and-white film of the Johnson-Jeffries fight. Up until then, it was common to play recordings of big boxing matches in theaters, but the White House declared the film to be a possible source of renewed outrage and yanked it from all venues. For decades, this vital record of black history went unseen. 
No other movie achieved that level of cultural impact and success again until five years later when The Birth of a Nation came out. Despite also depicting racial themes, the film was shown everywhere, even in the White House. The reason was obvious. In The Birth of a Nation, the whites won the fight. The violence after the Johnson fight largely petered out after a few days. While many Americans still struggled to accept Jack Johnson's skill in the ring, he had one major backer, Jim Jeffries. Fans tried to excuse the loss by claiming that Jeffries was past his prime, but the man himself said that wasn't true. In his words, even in his prime, or if he had a thousand more years to train, he never would have beaten Jack. The best man won the fight. In the years afterward, Jack Johnson became the world's most famous black man, but couldn't escape controversy. In 1912, he was arrested for transporting a woman he had a relationship with across state lines for quote-unquote immoral purposes. It was a dubious claim and likely another scheme to drag the champ down. After the arrest, Jack Johnson went abroad, taking on the best boxers across the globe. Long after his time, people still take inspiration from his story. Even when the entire country stared him down, Jack Johnson fought back. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast. Every Thursday on Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition, we're uncovering secrets hidden deep within the archives of the Central Intelligence Agency to bring you a special collection of episodes from shows across our network. Follow the new Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.